Our break. The Bannermen are back from their self-imposed break, and most importantly, we got our boy back. Vardy's back in the house. How are you tonight, Vardy? I'm good, man. I'm good. Happy to be back. Uh, dealt with some family stuff, but we're back at it now. Just want to briefly send a thank you to our buddy Jack, aka Salty Kings fan on Twitter, uh, for filling in quite nicely. I must say, I'm, I'm a little afraid for my job in the future. Uh, but otherwise, uh, doing okay, and I certainly appreciate him filling in, and I think you guys did a marvelous job, so thank you again. I just want you to know I was uh, thinking of you the whole time, Vardy. <laughs> That's what they always say. That's what they always say. I'll tell you who wasn't thinking of you during your absence was the Kings, because they, since January 5th, which was the last time we spoke to you guys, the Kings have not been good, to put it lightly. Um Loss against Nashville, loss against Anaheim, loss against San Jose, loss against Pittsburgh, loss against Anaheim. Then they beat the Rangers, get trampled on by the Canucks, and then steal one in Calgary, and we head into the All-Star break. So we got some things to talk about, I would say, for this episode. Yeah, yeah, I would say so. They all kind of follow a very particular theme, I think, <laughs> which you kind of covered there very nicely, mostly with L's. In that record book for the they, last eight they games, they took a or lot so. of L's in January. They took a lot of L's, but they didn't bounce back. <laughs> no. In the words of, in the words of uh, Big Sean, they did not. No. So, so let's kind of no. go through again. It's a long stretch for us. Uh, we really wanted to do an episode in between, but we just couldn't. Life gets in the way, as we always say. But we're here now, and uh, I'm kind of glad we waited till the All Star break to tell you the truth because it gives us a chance to kind of refocus as well with the Kings and see exactly where this team is. Um, the big problem here when you look through these stretch of games, one thing stands out is the record against the Pacific Division. Um, mm-hmm. This podcast, when we started this podcast, our very first episode, we brought that up about last season, Vardy. We talked about how their record against the Pacific ended up probably costing them a significant amount of points, probably costing them a playoff spot, and lo and behold... Here we are again, 6-9-3 and three against the Pacific Division uh, as we record this. And um, that's no good as far as uh, records go against teams that you should be beating, need to be beating uh, during the course of a season. Yeah, and, and really it's, it's the same familiar foes, right? I mean, not doing too great. I mean, I guess we've done better against San Jose in previous seasons than we are this season. This season they just seem to have our number... Um, mostly because I think Peter DeBoer has the entire Kings roster up on a dartboard from years ago and still still likes to torment us as, as payback for us beating the crap out of him to win a cup under him. Um, but then also like Calgary, which has just been a thorn in our side for a couple seasons now and continues to get worse. Um, and then Vancouver, who for the life of me, I can't figure out why we can't beat when every other team in the division seems to be you know having a having a good old time racking up points on them it's just been it's just very very disappointing and it it, it's not just the losses I think I think the most disappointing part is just how the losses are coming around you know when we were we were kind of talking about these through the through the games and tweeting out and stuff like that it's I don't know how many consecutive games now that they've allowed the first goal of the game and so they're playing from behind um 
And I know that during the telecasts, you know, they like to make mention that of like, you know, they've been behind 30 or 48 games. Well, look at what a great third period team they are and look how, you know, how they outscore teams in the third period. But it always comes back to the fact that if you're not actually down, you don't have to be that good of a third period team. You just have to hold the lead. Right. And that was always a hallmark of the Kings. And I get that you're going to have some difference from coaching systems and whatnot. But like one of the hallmarks for the Kings for the last few seasons had been that if they're leading going into the third, they're going to hold that lead. They're going to take a lot of, of wins. And now all of a sudden it's it's completely flipped on its ear where they can't even seem to stop the first goal from going in. And they're constantly playing from behind and looking to catch up and, and playing this, you know, cardiac kings kind of hockey which is obviously not built to succeed over the course of a season and now it's it's all coming to a head with this you know little run of games where they weren't really doing all that great yeah and i think the first period statistic is is vitally important to what we're talking about right now so let's just kind of just to give you guys an idea since that calgary game since we last recorded the game against nashville anaheim san jose pittsburgh anaheim again and then the rangers in those games, the Kings did not score a first-period goal. Mm-hmm. So that's bagels in in the first period until Vancouver was up 3-0 on them, and I think Iofalo made it 3-1. That was their first uh, third-period goal since January 5th. Or their first no. first-period goal since January now, 5th. Now, in, in addition to that, not only were they not scoring first-period goals, those teams were scoring first. Oh, absolutely. So, absolutely. So it's 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 doubly bad where they're not coming out prepared enough offensively and not scoring themselves, but they're allowing the other team to score. And a lot of times, at least two times that I can think of, it was on the very first shot against Quick to the point where we joked about it because it was it was the same thing from that from the Anaheim game on the nineteenth to the Rangers game on the twenty first, where it was a shot coming down the right wing and it just kind of went in you know, one of the first few shots of the game. It didn't make any damn sense. Right. I believe it was um, against Anaheim and then against Pittsburgh when Hornquist threw... Pittsburgh, sorry. Yeah, it, sorry. it was like... Anyway, and I guess this is an important thing too, and we'll get into Jonathan Quick in a second, but their third period goal differential, which, you know, the Patrick O'Neills of the world, you know, can't help but throw at you at a very opportune time, probably second intermission when they go to him and he's hey guys, don't forget <laughs> the Kings third period goal differential. Fantastic. And over the course of the last six or seven games, it's almost like as he or Alex Faust have mentioned that, the Kings get scored on in the third. And that stat right. that's that that they've uh put together is kind of now going the other direction, as you mentioned. And mm-hmm. but going back to what we talked about a second ago, Jonathan Quick in the last Boy, I almost want to say all of January, really, has really, really struggled. Um, those goals we talked about, uh, those weak goals, tweeners, where it looks like it has no chance to go in and finds a hole. Um, getting down early in games, and it's not like all the goals, all the losses have been on him, but there have been three, four games where you know he's not at his, at his best. Um, and that's what's putting the Kings down in a lot of these situations, so... Uh, he's had an interesting week or so, especially that uh, Vancouver game. John Stevens tried to pull him, tried to give him the mm-hmm. hook. He wasn't having it. Uh, very clearly did not want to come out of the net. Said no twice until Kemper basically started skating towards the net and he had no choice but to leave. Um, and then almost last minute before the All-Star break, they announced that he's dealing with a nagging injury. So he was to be suspended one game, even though injuries, I think for the most part you avoid that suspension but for him 
he they announced the injury and he dressed against Calgary on the 24th, which was right after that Vancouver game. So it was kind of an odd couple of days, couple of weeks, whatever you want to call it, for John Quick. And we always say he's, you know, he was in our three stars almost, you know, every time he was... We knew the Kings were going to lean on him heavily this season, and they did, and he was sparkling for three months or so. But now you could kind of see whether it be fatigue, whether it be just a lapse in a game, which is normal uh, for any goaltender, I think, throughout the course of a season, a bad stretch or rough stretch. But right now, the Kings really, really need this guy to get back on track. Yeah, I mean, I think your point's well made that, you know, we're seeing some soft goals here and there, no doubt. And they can be a little bit deflating. And to be perfectly clear, we're not saying that these losses are on him. A lot of these losses, I mean, you look at some of these scores, right? They get they only get, score one goal against Anaheim. They score one goal against Pittsburgh. They score one goal against San Jose. They get two against Anaheim prior to that. Again, those those games are as much on a lack of offense as they are anything else. And quite frankly, some of the defensive play has been so terrible. Um, Derek Forbert in particular is just still really, really kind of trudging through the mud this season um, stands out as having a couple of really brain fart kind of moments that have led the goals. But again, this goes back to just how much the Kings depend on this guy, right? Like um, especially this season when they're this season, when their advanced stats, their, you know, their puck possession and things like that is not the same as it was in prior. You're relying even more on him really maintaining a kind of a unsustainable you know, save percentage, but it's not so much the fact that like, you know, I could care less if he gets popped on, you know, 40 shots and they keep picking corners on him and going cross, you know, cross size passes and stuff like that. And they're scoring goals. That's not on him, man. But it's a couple of these like softies that go in now that you begin to wonder whether it is fatigue because, you know, despite the fact that the Kings had talked about, you know, uh, managing his starts a bit more, maybe limiting him from instead of getting 65 games in, in a season, maybe doing high 50s, low 60s in terms of starting games. But I think what it comes down to is he's he's a competitor. The rest of the team kind of feeds off of him. And so when the Kings get into this rough stretch where they're not winning games, they go back to this mentality of, okay, back to the basics, back to what works, back to leaning on the guys that have gotten us here. And so you keep getting him start after start after start, sometimes back to backs, which make no damn sense. And at some point, despite how much you may want to be the guy, it's not going to work out. The bottom's going to going to drop out. And I think we're seeing some signs of that. And so whether or not he truly had some sort of a nagging injury, whether that's real or whether that's just kind of an excuse that they're giving to, you know, avoid him having to go to Tampa and deal with all this stuff and maybe rest up a bit more. The fact of the matter is Kemper's got to get some starts. And so if this is what it takes to get him some starts, then fine. I, I could care less because just riding John Quick isn't going to be the, you know, the answer to everything. And it hasn't been. Darcy Kemper, I think, for the most part, has done a pretty good job. I thought he was great in that Calgary game. Yeah, definitely. Especially. And I was kind of worried uh, they were going to start quick in that game because they had hooked him in Vancouver. And I was like, okay, that's plenty of time to rest. Plus, he's going to be suspended, so he's going to miss the game coming out of the All-Star break. So I was like, they're probably going to start him. Not that I was too thrilled about it or either way, actually. But, again, it goes back to his management, the management of his time. And especially when the Kings you know, were winning and they had that big cushion, I felt especially there was several instances there where they could have gone to Kemper instead of Quick. Um, obviously, playing Quick probably helped build them that cushion that we're talking about. Mm-hmm. But, 
you know, while you can, because you know the crunch time is coming. And I think we all kind of knew um, that what the Kings were doing was not, as a team, sustainable. I think <laughs> they were the team shooting percentage was off the charts. They were playing... Uh, it seemed like they were playing with fire every game. It was a track meet every game. We always talked about how their defensive play was not like it was in the past and that eventually, if they're not careful, it will catch up with them. Not necessarily that the track meet game caught up with them or anything like that, but they did kind of you know, regress to the mean in certain ways. When you looked at this roster in the beginning of the season, uh, you and I were pretty confident that they would be where they are right now mm -hmm. but that being said i mean one thing that i've been noticing floating around the internet and even on tv is that a lot of people are now saying well it this is okay because this is where we thought the kings were going to be in august when we made our predictions and and i know you're going to agree with me because we've talked about it you know outside of the podcast that that's kind of infuriating to me and it's kind of annoying and it's almost like you know a chicken shit way to get out of out of that to, to say that hey it's okay it's okay that it's like this because this is what we expected when this team for three months you know uh, october to december was a top five team in the nhl consistently right and that's and that's without carter that's with a couple injuries here and there like i think everyone was talking about man can you imagine this team once carter gets back in there and that's it's just expectations change that's my point when you're a top team in the nhl and it's january you cannot say that anymore you can't look at that and say it's okay and i'm sure the kings as an organization aren't saying that i know that's probably more uh fan lip service or whatever tweets and things Sugar like that coding, i think a lot of <laughs> probably and and i'm not saying everyone should be up in arms and panicking because with everything that's gone as bad as it has i still i don't have that sinking feeling that i used to i don't know if you'll agree with me or not but last season when the kings dropped out of the playoffs in my heart, I kind of knew that they were not getting back. This season, I don't feel that way. Yeah, I think I think I I agree with you. So so to first address your first point, obviously I 100% agree, because it's it's all about adjusting expectations, right? Like if you come out of the gate and you're not doing well, and you're pretty much performing to where you think that roster that you put together was supposed to be performing. Fine. That's totally okay. And I think we're all okay with that. We realize this is going to be a bit of a transition year with multiple things. And in our in our beginning of the year preview, that was one of the major points that we made is that there's so many question marks. There were so many things that were fluid that we just didn't think that it was all going to come together. But lo and behold, it did. And you, I don't think it's okay in my mind to be doing that well for half a season and then to suddenly start dipping to the level that you know, you maybe thought you were going to be before the season. And the example that we talked about is is the Golden Knights, right? So that was a team that everyone pretty much penned as this is not going to be a good team. How can you put together a team from throwaway players, essentially? New system, new coach, new everything. How can it possibly happen? And now, quite frankly, they're looking like Stanley Cup contenders. They're looking at the very least like they're going to win the Pacific and going to be a challenge because they've been a challenge for every single freaking team who's come up against them. Now, do you mean to tell me that if they tanked for the rest of this season, went on to lose something like 25 of the remaining games and dipped to being a wild card team, that that everyone's going to be like, that's okay, guys. That's perfectly fine. I certainly wouldn't be okay with that. 
I don't think anyone in that organization would be happy about that because you've clearly shown that you can be a better team and that you're able to sustain it for half a season. So if you go away from that in some way, that's a disappointment in my mind. And I think the Kings, if you were to ask any single person in that locker room during conversations, they're saying the exact same thing. They're not happy about dropping, you know, six of seven games and only picking up three possible points or four possible points out of, you know, 16 possible points and falling into a wild card spot when they were sitting pretty and keeping neck and neck with the Knights leading up to this point. So again, I agree. I think it's a lot of sugarcoating. I think it's a lot of people trying to justify something like this and not getting too, you know, depressed or sky is falling about the whole scenario. But I just don't agree with it, honestly. No, that's just a reality, though. I mean, that's that's really what it comes down to. And, you know, you could point to certain things and you can say, well, Jeff Carter and he's not around. And he, if he was around, you know, watching this last stretch of games, watching the way the Kings have been playing, I don't like I'm not confident that if Carter was in the lineup, the Kings would be winning those games. Mm-hmm. Uh, now, obviously, they get some more favorable matchups. They would probably be tougher to match up against, obviously, when you have that one-two punch. I think maybe Pearson and Toffoli would be playing a, lip, a little bit better, maybe be more dangerous, can't be on the third line, makes that line maybe more dangerous. But watching those games, there's no guarantee that if Jeff Carter was in the lineup, you win those games. You know, a lot of people are hanging on to this, oh, well, when Carter comes back. But really, the team has to figure it out. They have to figure it out fast. I think for the most part, they've been okay. It, it's it's mistakes, and we talked about this in previous episodes where they lose games in stretches, and, mm-hmm. and that's been extremely evident, you know, in this last month. That Vancouver game, they basically lost the game in the first 10 minutes. It was over. It was pretty much done. You're not coming back from 3 nothing down, not this team. Uh, and even though they have shown an ability to come back, the way they are playing right now in that game, the funk they were in, you knew that game was over. Right, and it was just, there wasn't a lot of good going on in that game. Like, right off the hop, they just were getting beat to loose pucks. They were getting these outchanced odd man rushes. Quick wasn't sharp. The defense in front of him certainly wasn't sharp. You know, you're, like, they were were getting little chances, but not finishing. And then, yeah, Vancouver would come right back around, and every chance was just going in. And... Those are just games that you're just not showing up prepared, quite frankly. And you're going to have stinkers like that for sure where you just kind of move on. And thankfully they did and they put together a decent effort and they won in Calgary. Um, But I agree with you, man. I mean, you know, some of these games where you're looking at it and you're just like, well, what is what would Carter do differently here that would potentially open this game up? Now, the biggest problem, I think, and we've talked about this before, was that when you know that the drop off from going from Kopitar to the next center up is either Adrian Kempe or, you know, Nick Shore. I mean, you're talking, you're not even talking apples and oranges. You're talking like apples and pebbles really in that, in that category. And so it's, it's very easy for a team to match that up and limit Kopitar space, which I think in turn has made Kopitar regress back into a bit of a shell like he has in former seasons. I mean, if you compare the way he's playing right now to how he was playing in the beginning of the season, when he was playing a little more liberal, he was, you know, he was driving the net better. He was, you know, attempting certain things. It was a completely revitalized player. Right. And it showed up on the stat sheet. It showed up on the scores. It showed up with the Kings winning games. And now I think whether it's the pressure of being 
focused on more so because because other teams know now that if you just shut that line down and you shut Kopitar down, it's a lot easier to handle the other lines. Or whether it's him just perceiving that as the case and and kind of slipping into that little funk again and, you know, taking place to the half wall and going around the net instead of really trying to make offense, just trying to wait for offense to kind of happen. It, it's it's clear that as as he goes, the team goes right now. And so maybe in that sense, that aspect will change once Carter gets back. But in terms of like, oh, if Carter was here, we would have guaranteed won this game. I can't honestly say that. I can't honestly say that because really it's not like the other guys have just been playing really well and they just needed Jeff to be there to finish things up, you know? I think the bottom six is is continuing to be an issue. The production coming from the bottom six has just not been there, which has always been a problem. And that's despite the fact that you have Adrian Kempe now ostensibly going to end up being a 20-goal scorer by the end of the season. You're still just not getting consistent results from anyone else on that bottom six. And you throw that in there with some bad defensive play, it's a recipe for disaster, I think. Yeah, I think the one thing that I will point to and say, yes, this is an area where Jeff Carter would be incredibly, incredibly helpful is the time on ice. Mm-hmm. Uh, the difference, right, between Kopitar's time on ice, which I think has been almost at 22 and 20 27 plus yeah. every night. And then you look at Kempe's, like his last five, it's been, you know, 16, 12, 10, 14. 17 right so that that drop off there obviously means Kopitar's taking basically every crucial face off every offensive zone start it, 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 he's Which going over the board on during that game in Vancouver yeah, I mean he I, took something like 30 draws and was just getting killed in the circle yeah I think Horvat was eating him alive there mm-hmm. and he's gonna have games like that so that's one thing I will say is you take the burden off of him Carter probably gets you know 18 19 minutes a game maybe 20 mm-hmm. even probably so in that respect, yes, uh, I think the Kings will, to a certain degree, turn it around. They needed the break. I, we said that kind of in the in that week long break they had, that mandatory one week bye that they had. But I think getting healthy, refocusing, and all that, and you know, it's going to sound contradictory, but Carter will be in the lineup at you know sooner than later. It sounds like he's been skating on his own. Um, Probably after the All-Star break, things will become clear on his status, but uh, they still probably say mid-February at the earliest for him. Uh, I'm not too worried. I mean, th- would it be a King season if it wasn't a furious finish, you know, <laughs> for a wild card spot or yeah. that eighth seed, really? This team, historically, you know, since they've been good, quote-unquote good, since Lombardi's took over, it's always been a race to the finish line trying to get into the playoffs. There's, I can't recall any season maybe other than the year they blew the division on that last game against uh, against Winnipeg that they were comfortably in the playoffs. And the only time, like I said, they've been comfortably in the playoffs, they got destroyed by San Jose. So maybe it, it, maybe it's for the best. Right. They limped into the playoffs that season. I mean, they developed a really decent point cushion and then it all just kind of started. You could just tell the cracks were showing. And then once the first round came around, they were just, I think, a shell of the team that had actually built up that point cushion. And yeah, no, I agree with you, man. These guys, these guys have shown that they play best, I think, with their backs against the wall. And I think we all knew that a, a bit of a midseason dip was coming. 
it just happens at the worst possible time when you have other teams like Calgary right, and Colorado. Right, exactly. It coincides with teams getting like red hot, and that's exactly. that's the thing. That's what that's what makes it look far worse than it is. By the way, you know, you look yeah. around the league. San Jose, they just lost Thornton uh, for that's long term. By the way, so they're mm-hmm. gonna be you know they're gonna be up against it. I think Gibson is injured now. I don't know how long term that is, but. There, there will be a balance, you know, there will be a balance. When the Kings were racking off six, seven wins in a row, these teams were struggling. And now it's their turn kind of to have that moment. So, yeah, going back to what you were saying, it, it was like the perfect storm this month of January for the Kings, in a bad yeah. way, obviously. Yeah, now you just hope that there's enough runway. And, I mean, we've always said that you kind of just keep it together, keep it together. You developed enough of a point cushion, thankfully, early on in the season where you were always going to be in the hunt. And to be completely fair, we're not saying that Jeff Carter is not going to make this team better. We're not saying that Jeff Carter is not going to help this team win games. We're just saying that this last little stretch of games, we're not sure if Jeff Carter would have would have made a difference because up and down the lineup, there were so many problems. That being said, he's going to be a huge shot in the arm. He's going to be a better addition to this team than I think any, any team could possibly make in the trade deadline going forward. Um, you just hope that there's still that they're not going to rattle off, you know, six more losses before Carter gets back in there. And then you're really in a hole and then you're wondering, do we even have enough games available where we can win and get back into the playoff picture? And you look at the Pacific, I think, let's say it's somewhere between 96 and 100 points is going to get you in for sure. <laughs> I think 198 you're in for sure. If If I'm being, I guess... A little conservative and say 97 locks you into the playoffs mm-hmm. the kings would have to go 18 11 and 4 to get 97 points mm-hmm. to get 96 which again that would probably get you in two uh probably not as much of a lock it would be 18 12 and 3 so you look at that with a, a full squad healthy squad probably an addition on the top four de- defense at the deadline that's a doable number, man. Like that's mm-hmm. uh, for a team that was so good early on in the season. That was again at the top of the league for three months, eighteen, twelve, and three. I don't think that's asking too much uh, because, like we said, the expectations have been raised, and eighteen, twelve, and three should be something this group can accomplish with the personnel they have now, and with whoever they're going to add at the deadline. Which I think you would agree that there's there's pieces that can be added. At the deadline. Now, they're not going to be... I don't think they need a top six winger because obviously, like we talked about, Carter's coming back. I think we've we've noted and a lot of people have noted, so this isn't exactly earth-shattering news, but I think defense is really where they're going to be targeting, hopefully adding a top four defenseman, someone who can, who can eat up, you know, 19, 20 minutes a game and is used to playing that level of, of game because I think Derek Forward, who had a pretty decent season last season kind of maybe painted a picture of, of being able to play that way um, this season and, and really just hasn't come to that. And then guys like Christian Fullen, Fantenberg, Gravel, you know, they're not, they're not meant to be top four D-men. If you're putting them in that role, you're, you're forcing them to play a few more minutes um, and play against tougher um, opposing players than I think they're designed to play against. And so I think the Kings are definitely going to be, um, targeting a top four defenseman, what that's going to cost them, who they can actually secure, 
that's that's you know that's above my pay grade. These guys like to find guys that were not on anyone's radar, and and suddenly they're tradable, and you know they get added to the roster. I think. Right, the big name, and we we kind of Jack and I spoke of this. Was uh, oh, did you did you guys talk about things? Sorry, that was my jealousy coming in. There. <laughs> Jack and I spoke of this. We, we talked about Mike Green a little bit. Um, mm-hmm. Mike Green being possibly a target for the Kings, but the problem there is that Mike Green's probably the top defense defensive target in the NHL at the deadline, which. Uh, Good news for him, man. <laughs> I, good news for the Red Wings because they're they're going to be sellers, obviously. So mm-hmm. they could get quite a return on him. And another name that keeps popping up, and this report's been coming out the last few days, is that the Rangers are basically cleaning house. They are right. like, I don't know if they're waving the white flag, if they're saying we're done here, we're not going to make it, whatever. But Ryan McDonough's name keeps popping up over and over and over again. So mm-hmm. you're probably, those two are probably the top two names uh in the market for defensemen then you kind of do a little drop off to ian cole eric goodbranson um jack johnson right and maybe dion fanu for all free agents yeah and then uh i take that back sorry fanu's got several years left on his seven million dollar year contract yeah but he is i guess uh considered to be a tradable asset bogosian recently just had a monster right. surgery, so he's done. Right. No one's gonna touch him. So that those right. are your big options, I think, right now. Yeah, and I don't know if any of those names really, really sparks much of an interest, honestly, in me. I know Mike Green is is a target, but I don't know. In my mind, I don't think Mike Green really solves anything for this team. I don't think Mike Green's. So I guess in my mind, I'm picturing you want someone who's gonna be able to play with Martinez or Muzzin, whoever you decide to put on that second pairing, as a bit of more of a of a defensive counterpart. I feel like the Kings have still haven't filled that gap left when Willie Mitchell retired or left. And that's the kind of player that I, I think, and I, easier said than done, certainly, but I think that's the kind of player that I would prefer that they were bringing in, someone who's a little more defensively inclined rather than someone who's known traditionally to be an offensive defenseman like Mike Green. Because I think Mike Green doesn't really solve the problem of defensive lapses. I, do I think I'm getting a better actual defensive player in Mike Green than maybe Derek Forbert or Christian Follin? I mean, maybe just based on experience, but I don't, I don't it's not like if there was a, a penalty kill situation, I'd be like, all right, Mike, get out there and make it happen, buddy. You know, like that's that it, that's what I'm thinking. The team's missing more so as a defensive presence, not necessarily an offensive defenseman presence. I think we got plenty of that with Dowdy and Muzzin and, and Martinez. I think if you had a decent two-way guy who may be a little, you know, lower down on that, on that target list, um, that might be a better option. I'll, to be completely frank, I haven't seen too much of Gumbranson play, but he was more so the guy that I was thinking of. But obviously, you're trying to get him from another Pacific Division team. That's not going to be. It's not going to be easy. It's not going to be cheap. And I don't know. No, it's not. He's he's only 26. So the Canucks know that they're going to be of fishing course. for a first round pick. There, I, I don't yeah. think there's any. I think even Mike Green is. They're fishing for a first round pick. Um, and they'll get it. They will. I think they'll get it. They will because the other, the only other defenseman that's big named or is a UFA is Dano Chara, who's mm-hmm. forty. And if Dean Lombardi was our general manager, then yeah. maybe we would First get line for that one, baby. Maybe and, and hey, maybe we still do. I I don't know. I don't know what Rob Blake's thinking right now. 
Yeah, but I doubt Boston's getting rid of anyone. I mean, they're, no, they're, they're doing pretty they're well They're like a right house now. on fire right now. They're just, I think they have points Jesus. in 17 straight games. Their goal differential is plus 40. That's insane. They were a team that people thought, including myself, would, would have some tough times. And they did early on. And then now, good lord, Patrice Bergeron, I think, has scored three hat-tricks in the last two months. <laughs> I think it's because he heard us talking about how Kopitar was a front runner for the Selkie, and and you know, yeah, he got all pissed at us. Not no more, is <laughs> not it's, no more. I mean, it's well known, guys, that Patrice Bergeron listens to this podcast like on the regular. So, sorry, man. That that kind of feel like we're responsible for lighting that spark under him. Yeah, but we still love you, Kopi, because I know you're listening too. <laughs> yeah, so there there isn't a whole lot out there. Jack Johnson asking for a trade out of Columbus great <laughs> yeah i don't know he could be a winger for the oilers yeah I, I heard people are responding really well to that to that <laughs> idea but yeah i don't think the kings are really fishing for jack johnson or tobias enstrom or kevin bieksa yeah. who they would never trade to us anyway <clears throat> um i think the one name that's kind of interesting is dan hamus even though he's 35 he mm-hmm. is a free agent um I don't know. I, I I have to think about that one. Yeah, I think this is this is where it comes down to like you know your scouts and looking at a lot of these teams that finding that guy who's maybe fourth, fifth, sixth on another team's radar, but fits in well with the with the type of game that you're playing and what your team needs. You know, looking at teams like Montreal, Florida, maybe not Fanuf from Ottawa, but you know, just trying to find that guy who you think can fill in isn't going to break the bank in terms of trying to get him yeah would it be nice to have ryan mcdonough on this team hell yeah it'd be nice but that would cost you so much right and i don't think i think the kings are beyond that situation where they're really willing to break the bank and bring in a guy who you think is going to put you over the top i think they've realized that that can go either way and they've given up too many assets in the past to do that during Blake's first season, you know what I mean? Like you're right. you're not gonna give up, you're not gonna give up uh, Kale Clegg or Hell no. Gabriel Velarde or someone like that. Like it's just not worth it for a guy like McDonough. It's for anyone, quite honestly, in my mind. So what you're saying is we're gonna get Luke Shen? You know he knows the system. <laughs> I, I don't think he knows this system, man. <laughs> I don't think he knows any system. Like I think if you thought he was bad. <laughs> The last time he was here, <laughs> the way the Kings have yeah. opened it up and have made themselves more prone to mistakes, man, um, no thanks on that. No offense, <laughs> Luke Shen, who also listens, obviously. But yeah, I think I think you're right. I think the mayor, uh, John Hoven, mentioned this too, that don't be surprised if the Kings kind of make an off-the-radar, low-key, <laughs> you-didn't-see-it-coming kind of deal. I, I, think they're, I think they're definitely... If we can see it, they can see it. I think a defenseman is going to be a priority. I think a winger, too. I think they might look at a winger, too, if it's a reasonable acquisition. Because, once again, the left side of Andre Kopitar, once again, you know, <laughs> it's, a, it's a question mark again. Alex Ayafalo, who's, who's performed admirably, who was great in the beginning, kind of had... I don't even know if he tailed off. I mean, I, they put him in the press box a little bit. We talked with Jack about how it might be because... You know, you're getting all that ice time. You only have a couple goals, but now he's chipping in. I don't know. I don't know if they'll look at a winger, but there's a lot of fire around wingers too, uh, particularly Max Pacioretty out of Montreal, which, once again, it will cost the Kings a lot. There's no doubt about it. 
He has a sweetheart contract. Mm-hmm. They know it. <laughs> uh, the Canadians know it, and they're probably looking for a significant return on him. Yeah, I I would not even sit down at that table to play that game. Uh, it's it, you're looking at guys, and I think that there's going to be a bit more of a run on wingers. Um, I yeah, I I don't know. I think I think the Kings are going to be pretty happy with their forward uh, lineup once Carter gets back. I think a lot of them. I think if I were to be in that room, you would want to assume that Carter getting in there is going to solve a lot of problems for you. And I get the I get the issue with the winger on Kopi's top line, but the fact of the matter is that I follow was doing fine there in the beginning of the season, and I think it. You just assume that once Carter gets back there, certain things are going to fall into place a bit better. Now, if you if you get a decent deal on someone and you're not giving up a ton for him, fine. But I, I don't think that they're really going to be chasing hard after a winger. To kind of go back briefly, just briefly, because this this thought just just crossed my mind to the defenseman thing. Another person who I could certainly see them going after would be uh, Yalmerson mm. in in Phoenix. I mean, he's got one year left on his deal at four million. He's thirty years old. He's playing twenty twenty one minutes a night. He's not a name that I'm hearing a ton going around for, but I think he would fit the bill. That's exactly the kind of guy, kind of guy that I think right. this team would be looking for. Veteran experience, has won cups in Chicago, brings a winning attitude, has, an, has a year left on his contract, which is even better. And I think you could probably get him for a lot cheaper than a lot of those other names that are being thrown around, quite frankly. Boy, I, I, I don't know, man. If, if Arizona made it public that he's available... Like, That's what I'm saying, though. It's not public. I know. I haven't, but, I haven't heard his name really being thrown around. Right, but if there's a situation where the Kings call the Coyotes and say, "Hey, we want this guy. Would you be willing to?" And then the Kings make an offer. Yeah, I don't know. I don't know. That's tough. He's he's a good player, man. He's uh, there's a lot of mileage on him, uh, for sure. Certainly, there's Certainly. a lot of mileage on him, but but he, I believe he's a left-handed shot. Yeah, he is. He's 30. Uh, I would, yeah. I think you get one more good season no, out of him, which is what his contract is. Yeah, and he fits with your core, your core's age. That's kind of what you want because your right. your defense is relatively young right now. Um, and really, what is he doing for Arizona? What is what is anyone doing for Arizona at this point? I mean, quite frankly, if you're them, you got to even consider maybe do you move Ekman Larson in the next couple of years because your team clearly hasn't turned the corner. They tried to make some changes. They tried to make some trades and stuff. Last season, by bringing in Yalmerson and bringing in, um, you know, Stepan and stuff, and it still hasn't quite worked to to where they're going to go. And so I feel like if it's not really working, and you got these guys who are going to be UFA, would you not listen to potentially, you know, some decent offers on these guys? Man, eighteen nineteen summer, Dowdy Carlson, <laughs> Ekman Larson, all three unrestricted free agents. I don't um, even want to think about that, man. I'm I'm almost a hundred percent sure that at least two of those three guys are going to have contracts well before they hit the free agent market. I think OEL is the one that is going to drag this out because I can't imagine he wants to hang around Phoenix for the rest of his you know lovely career. Like that's a guy that you know is is going to get money anywhere he goes and has got a good chance of of winning a cup if he goes somewhere else. And I don't think he's got that same presence that like. Dowdy has in, in LA or Carlson has an auto or like they got the keys to the city kind of thing. Yeah. I think two of the three are moving men. I think, damn, I think Carlson and Ekman Larson are both gone. 
You think Dewey stays? I think Dowdy stays. I think the other two are gone. And it's just a state of the franchise thing, man. Like, mm-hmm. Ottawa is a tire fire right now. In <laughs> every really sense of the word. And I thought they were going to make the playoffs in the in our uh, preseason episode, whatever. I thought they were going to have a good season third. I thought they would I be... I did too. Yeah, but... Man, it's it's been horrible on every level. And it's not just on the ice. Then you got ownership coming out and saying stupid, stupid things to the media. And you're trying to re-sign the face of your franchise. And this While guy, your owner is saying, yeah, I'd move him. I'd move him wherever. Yeah, exactly. I, I'll move the whole team. I don't care. <laughs> it's like saying things like this. I'll burn the building down. I don't give a deal. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> and, and like there's so many questions with the coyotes every single season mm-hmm. i think those two guys are gone i think dowdy's gonna i think dowdy's gonna resign i think it's i think it's a bunch of posturing uh just he's just having a ball now that being said if the kings are awful that changes a little bit right I which think, i think this season by the way i think that's given him enough hope that's that, what i'm saying that's what i'm saying yeah Regardless of how it goes, I think if they keep just on the same trend that they're going right now with some of the newer guys that have come in and proven that they can play and some of the guys that are still on the way, I think there's there's enough of a we've shown enough of a bright side where he believes that if he were to stick around here, another cup, if not two, is still very, very much in the window. The Kings are gonna break the bank for him. I don't think they're gonna let him get to free agency. They're gonna throw everything at him to to the point 12 where mil? <laughs> Yeah, actually, there was something I read where, I don't know if it was an insider or something, but something about the Kings are prepared to give Drew Daddy $12 million a year. No problem. Yeah. I mean, what else are you going to do, man? What else are you going to do? I still think he's the Norris frontrunner for this season. I know that Hedman has all the, has all the, and Peter Angelo, they all have the vibe, but he is playing... On the whole, despite all the criticism that I've I've thrown on out there this season about him trying sometimes just a little too hard, he's playing some of the best hockey I've seen him play. Uh, so it was Bob McKenzie, actually. Mm. Bob McKenzie, who is basically the most respected, renowned, whatever you want to call it, insider. He he basically said, "I won't be surprised if he resigns in LA, uh, eight-year, twelve million dollar deal." Was what he expects would come from the Kings, and again, that doesn't it doesn't take Bob McKenzie to figure that out. They're gonna throw right. everything at him. They're gonna give him everything <laughs> they need to give him for him to stay. Um, we got the Kings. You know, all of a sudden with Gabe Velarde, he who's playing really well right now, by the way, ever since mm-hmm. coming off the injury, coming looking back. really yeah. good. And um, Kale Clegg, man, Kale Clegg, Clegg, right, really good in the World Juniors. I mean. Future's so bright, you might need shades, folks. <laughs> Especially you, Dewey. Because <laughs> the sun shines brightest in Los Angeles. Don't you forget that. Off those gold bars that we're going to pay you with, you're just going to be blinded. <laughs> I still hope him and Carlson have that text exchange that we talked about a few episodes ago. Man. Where they just send each other money bags and <laughs> things like that. <laughs> they, they must have like the most annoying text message conversations. <laughs> yeah. Just like, look what I bought. Look what I bought. You know, I agree. Ottawa's terrible. Man. 
and they got a bunch of guys that they're going to get rid of too. You want to see a couple teams that are going to they're going to liquidate some assets. Ottawa's got names on there, man. I think Derek Broussard's going to move. Derek Broussard has not really been the player that Ottawa ever wanted him to be, but he's still a legit second line center. He's got some great faceoff work. A lot of teams would love to have him. Mike Hoffman's name keeps coming up. Um, Don't forget Stone. Stone. Stone's an which RFA. Is, which is craziness to me <laughs> that his name would come. But again, it sounds like the team is in like some kind of financial peril. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I don't know. You know, he's, yes, he's an RFA at 3.5, but the, he's going to ask for a lot of money. Yeah. And, and rightfully so. He'd he's get, he's he been gets a six good plus player. somewhere easily. Easily he'd get six plus million, I think, from another team. Yeah, because he kind of deserves it, I would say. He's mm-hmm. he's earned it. But imagine taking those three pieces off the senders. Yeah. <laughs> That's not good. <laughs> then you have Matt Duchesne bad, and right? Bobby Ryan. <laughs> That's pretty bad. Matt Maybe Duchesne. Eric Carlson will play left wing. God, Matt Duchesne. Poor guy. <laughs> Just, yeah. It's like from one situation to the next. Would it shock you to see him traded again? No, he's an unrestricted free agent next season. I, I think he has one more year left, doesn't he? Hold on. No, he has one more year left. Yeah, he has one more I mean, year next left. season he'll be unrestricted. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, so, yeah, definitely. I, I don't – he's he's going to move again. I can't imagine Matt Duchesne sticks around with the Ottawa Senators. No, I mean, look, you have one shot at free agency these days. Really, mm-hmm. if you think about it. You have one shot uh, with the way the contracts are structured structured now with that how bridge deals work and all that. Like you have one opportunity, man, to really go out there and and make that money. And after next year, yeah, he's unrestricted. He'll be 28 years old at that time. So you know, you know they're coming for him, and he'll probably cash he out at like seven, seven and a half million in the moment. Yeah. Have you seen the string of terrible goaltender interference calls in the last few days? That no. has okay. So I want you to Google this while I talk. All about right, it. everyone, Google. If you're driving, Google while yes. you're driving. Totally Google while you're driving. Um, if you're in the bathroom, perfect. Um, <laughs> Connor McDavid and Austin Matthews both had both had plays uh, taken back. Matthews was a goal. McDavid's was an overtime winning assist. These are two of the worst goaltender interference calls you will see. I you know, you. I did hear about this, but I just never saw the video, unfortunately. Hold on, I'm going to take a look right yeah, now. Yeah, you take a look. I'll kind of explain the play. In in uh, Matthew's case, it was a scramble in front of the net, Jonathan Bernier, the goalie. And Matthews, I think, barely grazed his stick. And Matthews is actually the one who ends up scoring the, the goal. And it went up to review, and it was disallowed. So I think I just saw, I watched the McDavid one. McDavid one really? was in overtime. He drove past the goalie. Yeah, and, I see it. And, and barely made contact with him. Oh, come on. Yeah, so For that's real? the McDavid one. So McDavid Man, drives really to the net. He hits the Calgary goalie barely. And uh, then he, damn, and then he tripped the ref in the shootout winner, huh? He did. Ooh, he did. Mickey D's getting getting spicy. <laughs> Farm boys have personality, man. <laughs> Don't get it twisted out here. Damn. So that's one. So you saw the McDavid one. And watch the Matthews one, which is far worse. Oh, I see it. All right. No. I actually think the McDavid one's worse, personally. I think this one's worse, man. <laughs> this one, it, it kind of gives me... Well, okay. So the Kings had a goal called back recently where Kempe was trying to kind of yes. bat at a loose puck that was in the air. And it yes. kind of ended up hitting a goalie in the face. And you're yes. kind of like, okay... 
makes sense. That was against Vancouver, I believe. So this one is very similar to that, except the Toronto player looks like he's getting pushed it's not by even that, the Coyotes man. player. It's not even that, man. I'll tell you, the problem is that the interference changes nothing about the play. Well, it does in the fact that the goalie looks like he kind of falls into the net just as Matthews is coming around, and so he's not really getting a, a chance to reset after that. If you watch... Okay, here's my problem with this rule, okay? The puck is behind Bernier. I think his motion and the way he's moving, no matter what he does, that puck's getting he's behind gonna be falling him. into the net. That puck's yeah. getting behind him, no matter what. Like, I've seen more clearer goaltender interference and the goals has stood. Mm-hmm. So anyway, my point being, I think this is terrible. I think this is terrible and I think... McDavid's is terrible, but now I think the McDavid one's awful. The McDavid one is him driving the net, clearly making an attempt to score a goal. Right. It it has no bearing on anything. I mean, it's it's you know the the knob of the stick. That's I to, think that's fair game. Right to call that goalie interference, just to use right. those words, it's just it's asinine. Anyway, my point is because of these two plays now. There is a giant backlash against this rule uh, to the point where at the All-Star game, I think Gary Bettman, some GMs, and the coaches all sat down to talk about it. Um, And now they're really, really looking at it. They think it's getting out of hand. Um, So last season, all of last season, okay, Mm -hmm. 35 goals that were scored were called back because of goalie interference. Mm -hmm. This season, it's January, 33 have been called back because of goalie interference. And how many of those were goals that were scored on the Kings and the goal and the Kings challenge for goalie interference? A fat zero of them because we are That's awful right. with goalie challenges. We are terrible with goalie challenges somehow. Right. And to be fair, a couple of the ones that they've challenged have been really just long shot challenges that just seem like you might as well just throw away your time out. But there have been a couple in there that you've just been like, okay, <laughs> you know. If this isn't goalie interference, I'm not sure what is. And then, you know, seems to go against the Kings, at least on that particular type of call. And interestingly, you and I have had this discussion just kind of the other the other challengeable rule being the offsides rule. And I think a lot of people have talked about this. Like you'll have you'll have these plays where the puck enters the zone and then like 40 seconds later, because a guy's skate was a half an inch off the ice, even though it was on the plane of the blue line. They bring it back, even though that entry had no bearing whatsoever on on the play, basically. on the actual play. Yeah. If you think about it, right, the number one thing the NHL is trying to do in general is is score more goals. Mm-hmm. And now you have a situation where calls like that, those two goaltender interference calls are happening, where offsides plays are happening when the guy's foot is like a millimeter off the blue paint. Otherwise, mm-hmm. it's okay. And mm-hmm. it's taking five to ten minutes to zoom in and like look and make sure the skate is off the ice, all so you could take away a goal. And it, it just I don't know I it all started I think with that PK Subban play in the play in the Stanley Cup final last year, mm-hmm. and it's just snowballed now to this, and that's why they put in that stupid rule about a two minute penalty if you if you lose an offside challenge, right? And it's just. You take one thing, one idea, and now you have to kind of pad it with six or seven new rules just to make sure the initial rule makes sense. And I think 
I don't know. It just smells like crap, man. Every like they need to really rethink this whole thing. You want to get it right and have goals. There's got to be a better way than this because yeah. this isn't working anymore. Yeah, I mean, I think I think the idea of making the blue line a plane is is reasonable. Um, obviously, when you make a big change like that, that's a fundamental rule in hockey, and it's been like that for years. And so that's that's going to take a little getting used to. Um, and if the NFL is any example, I mean, just watch any given week, and there's you know just huge delays in reviewing calls and reviewing the reviews, and no one knows what is or isn't a pass anymore. Like fundamentally, it's just it all goes to hell. And so sometimes these rules can kind of backfire in that sense where, like you said, you're slowing down the action, you're slowing down the game, you're delaying it by 10 minutes, whatever momentum was created for one team or another based on that goal and excitement in the crowd just gets completely zapped. And you have to sit there for, you know, 10 minutes watching someone else look at a play on an iPad and then come to some sort of a conclusion that doesn't make any real logical sense for what, what the play was all about. It's, it's going to be a process. Um, I think fundamentally the good thing is that the NHL tends to be a bit more old school than the NFL in that way. And so I think if they see a rule that's not really working properly, they're quicker to scrap it or, you know, go back on it. Whereas the NFL, I think traditionally has been very slow to adapt in that way. They kind of stick to a rule and they just keep trying to modify it and keep it the way it is until everyone's just so annoyed by the intricacies that it doesn't even make any sense you spend half the game just, you know, you need a rule book to watch right. the da- and that's, game. Right, and that's one of the big complaints about the NFL right now is the delays. And if mm-hmm. the NHL isn't careful, Vince McMahon might start a hockey league. <laughs> Fighters would be welcome. That'd be the only type of the XHL. I would watch it. <laughs> I really would. <laughs> Ray Ferraro made a great comment. Uh and it was, it was it held so true. He mentioned how, you know, these he was he's really he's really pissed off about the offside. That's what that's mm-hmm. what his his problem is. And he made a great point is that yeah, you can get it right by you know looking at putting it under a microscope, making sure you know the blade is on the ice and all this. But if there's like a three on one, and the referee accidentally calls it offside. When it was actually onside, you can't go mm-hmm. back and you can't, you review can't that. bring that back. You can't say, okay, free three-on-one, guys, are bad. Like, from this point on, you have a three-on-one and everyone has to stay outside the zone. You know what I mean? So, he made a great point and, and, and I totally agree with him. It's it's Obviously, it's never going to be perfect, but like, you can't, for a sport that is desperate for goals, there's just got to be a better way to figure this thing out. And, and, and that's what it comes down to. You know that's that's very interesting because thinking back, the Kings themselves had a little bit of of a, in my mind, I think a penalty call controversy. I'm forgetting who they were playing now, but there was a high sticking call that I'd never seen anything like this before in my life, and it was, you know, they called a high sticking call, and it turned out it was actually, um, I think it was against the Ducks, and there was a Ducks player. Um, who had high stick to Foley, but it actually ended up being that it was Kempe's stick that had high stick to to Foley. And because immediately after the call went to TV timeout, somehow a review was initiated and they looked at it and they, they reversed the goal. I mean, they reversed the penalty call. And I'd never in my life seen that actually happen where they call a penalty. And then because there's a break in between there, they review it and they just, 
they pulled the guy out of the box. It's it's, it's unbelievable, you yeah. know. Yeah, there's it tons was of bad penalties Yeah, there's tons of bad penalties called all the time. There's tons of like stick mishaps that you get it wrong, and you just go with it because you know. Okay, we got to drop the puck. We're going to keep going. But if you're just going to make up rules like that, where you're just going to take the time, I guess, to look back at plays that aren't really reviewable, to my knowledge, and you're going to gift, quite frankly, something to the other team because you screwed up, you know, make that a real deal. Don't make that something that you just randomly do. Because I think in that situation, the Kings are deprived of a power play that, yeah, maybe the ref screwed up a call, but that's human error. You just got to go with that. You can't start making up rules on the fly like that. Yeah, and I remember that clearly. I think you were you were not happy. <laughs> I wasn't happy. Were, I wasn't happy because, really you know, every team has stuff like that happen to them every time throughout the season. I'm sure if I think back, there's been tons of plays like that where it's like someone trips over their own stick, but the defenseman happens to be there, and, and they call it a tripping play. Or, you know, it, it happens. It's human error, and you assume that, across the course of a season, that's going to even out. I mean, if you're going to make that a rule now where you can review all these penalty calls or Toronto's going to initiate a review, then you got to do that for everything that someone complains about is a bad call. But you can't just be doing that on the fly and, you know, because there happens to be TV timeout, you decide you're going to go and, like, take a look at a monitor. Yeah. No, I'm with you. That was uh, odd, to say the least. I'd never seen it before. Uh, that's for sure. And I think I was really surprised how very little was made of it. Yeah, they just kind of like <laughs> passed it off. And in fact, they kept focusing on how Dowdy was laughing about it. But I was like, why is no one getting angry about this? Why is <laughs> right. no one even like talking about how we're just making stuff up as we go along? They probably said the linesman came over and, and corrected it. And what are you going to say? I mean, at that point, Nothing. what are you really going to say? You're going to say, all right, let's get on with this damn game. Pretty much. Yeah. Um, I think early on in this podcast's life, we mentioned how Seattle, as an expansion city for the NHL, was basically a no-brainer, and it seems we weren't the only ones who thought that way, because it's becoming more and more clear now that the 32nd team in the National Hockey League will reside in Seattle. Um, I know the answer, but are you surprised at all, Vardy? Not in the least. In fact, I'm quite excited Here's for them. I think... I think Seattle's a fantastic hockey market. Here's what I'm upset about. They're going to play in the Pacific Division most likely, which means we're going to have another Vegas situation on our hands, which means that the days of being happy for two expansion teams in your division are gone, man. They are gone yeah, because Gary Bettman said, and as everyone expected, the same expansion rules would apply to Seattle that applied to Las Vegas. Yeah, but you do wonder... Is there is there a whole other crop of like you know thirty one players still available that are quite the same as they were for Vegas? You know what I mean? Is there still, or actually, quite frankly, is are they going to get an even better crop? That's what I'm now saying. You, you cut out the bottom, exactly. and now you have even even better players at the bottom. Because <laughs> well, that sucks. <laughs> now now you have real top four defensemen here. Yeah, yeah, no you know kidding. I mean? <laughs> you have top three defensemen. <laughs> right, right. So I think logically speaking, I think Arizona would move probably to the central, uh, Seattle back into the Pacific. Um, what an awful trade off to lose. The punching bag that is the Arizona Coyotes, even though they beat us consistently. And now to get a team made of awesome 
you know, depth NHL players. You know, it'd be interesting is if they actually move Vegas to the central and I mean, cause you know, that really we're, we're hedging on geography here. It's like the same latitude, longitudinal line, really. That's right. not really what it comes down to, but I, I don't know how keen they would be on having two of the newer teams being in the Pacific division. You know what I mean? Right, right. I get what you're saying. Uh, maybe, you know, I think looking at a map, you know, obviously Arizona's closer to the central teams than sure. Vegas is just, just based on that. Um, I'm very curious to see if we get a repeat of this Vegas situation because logic still tells you that there's something not right going on with the Vegas right. Golden Knights. Like something is not, I'm not saying they're cheating or something, obviously, but what I'm saying is there's something that tells you like this can't last forever. Still is, yeah. even though we're wrong, obviously, um, it's still telling you It's a you sample that. size issue. Wait five seasons. <laughs> exactly. Wait after their third cup. I'd be like, any second now. <laughs> any second now. The Told bottom's going to fall out. Um, good for Seattle. Good for the game. I think moving one team to the central, loading up Seattle in the Pacific, I think that makes it a complete even league um, mm -hmm. all the way through. And I think they would stop there maybe for a while. Um, but yeah, like you said, it's a great place to grow hockey i think it's gonna have that same rabid kind of feel fan base wise anyway that vegas winnipeg all these teams that you know expanded recently have and will continue to have so what do you think vardy what do you think the seattle team would be called Ooh, i was gonna ask you oh gotcha okay 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 top three you gotta give your top three names okay number one supersonics Okay. <laughs> the Seattle Sean Kemps. Um, honestly, I haven't thought about it. Uh, I what I'm gonna say is just based on suggestions I've read mm -hmm. or whatever. Um, man, I really like the Thunderbirds name. You know, I know it's their. It, it already exists. Yeah, I know it already exists. <laughs> their WHL team. I yeah, think, exactly. Right? It's a. Uh, it's where Thomas Hickey played. Mm -hmm. um, I know it Former already exists. King's but, number four overall draft. Yeah, Thomas and Hickey. now the well, Islanders... Really? I wouldn't mind having him. <laughs> I'm telling you. The Islanders lost him for, to an injury, and they are scrambling right now. <laughs> all right? They're, like, looking at Tyson Berry and all this. Um, I've heard totems. It is interesting, isn't it? It's just strange, you know? It, I, I'm not saying I don't like it. I'm not even saying I do like it. It's just... I never would have thought a team, you know, could be called the Totems. Um, mm -hmm. I heard Emeralds, which was pretty right. cool. I like that one. Um, you got anything? Things that maybe you've cooked up? So I've always, I've always played around in my head, kind of going with that whole Northwest vibe, the Seattle Sasquatch. <laughs> just like kind of, just, just you know, um, and I, I don't know, something in my head just keeps going. And maybe it is that Supersonics vibe that, like, the whole SS sound really kind of. Seems to work. Yeah. And it would make for some pretty sweet, like, shoulder logos, you know, with, like, the two S's and stuff. Not necessarily wanting, wanting it to look like Nazi uniforms or anything yeah, like that, but, you know. Yeah, uh, we got to be careful there, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah, I know. Trudging on some weird territory. <laughs> yeah. But, again, um, kind of going with that same sound vibe, uh, the Seattle Stallions 
I thought would be nice. That's nice. I like that. Yeah. There's like no like that. horse really Calgary flirted with horses briefly, but there really yeah. isn't a horse. Yeah, that was thing. A, we like to forget the, the horse NHL. logo. Yeah. Yeah. But this would be okay because you would own it. Like the horse is <laughs> is the name of the team kind yeah. of thing. Yeah. I also heard uh, Seattle Thunder, which is kind of paint by numbers i would say like very yeah. vanilla and it's almost like but that's also like seattle's little flipping of the bird to the supersonics for moving to okc exactly and being the there's a, yeah plus there's the weather uh right the nod to the weather there it always rains seattle rain is another one i read just straight up ah, air i air r a i n that's how they spelled it it was not rain like yeah. the ontario rain you know right the avalanche would be I'm very upset that they're no longer the one weather phenomenon <laughs> team in the league. Oh, the Hurricanes, buddy. Don't you forget. Ah, Seattle Tornadoes, it is. Tampa Bay Lightning. Tampa Bay Lightning. Yep. Man, there's a lot of weather. I never thought about that. All right, cool. There's quite a few. Um, and let me see what I can think of off the top of my head here uh, as a third side one. Side the there was originally a, a team in Seattle Stanley Cup mm-hmm. champion team called the uh, Seattle Metropolitans. Um, we're going back to like 1920s here, for the record. So there was all no- that all that tells me is that there's history there, buddy. Granted, this is going to look very similar to maybe Vancouver's logo, but like the Seattle Lumberjacks would be nice too, in my mind. What about the Seattle? Yeah. Actually, oh, I forgot. Someone mentioned this, and I liked it. Uh, Seattle Seals. Come on, man. Yeah. <laughs> no. Go- Golden Seal? No. Dude, history. Exactly. History. What do you think the team colors would be? It's got, I mean, come on. It's got to be green and blue, right? There's you don't be... think it'll look too much like the Canucks? That's true. I forgot. And they're going to be rivals. Mm-hmm. Ooh, mm-hmm. you got to change it up. I think, you go, uh, I think you go emerald green and gray. Something like that. Something like the whale? Mm-hmm. That's not bad. Emerald green and gray, and maybe you throw in a little yellow to to shout out yeah, the supersonic. Yeah, supersonic shout out shout out would be nice. Green for mm-hmm. sure. I think we all agree with yeah, that. You I could go neon like the Seahawks. A... I mean, yeah, you can go. Work. I think you go. I think you go gray like the sky, green like the trees, <laughs> and uh, yellow like the sun that peeks out from the clouds <laughs> three months out of the year. Yellow maybe. like the golden seals. <laughs> Sure. All right, let's take a quick look at what the Kings are looking at coming out of the All-Star break. All right, coming out of the break, the Kings have Dallas. Who's been doing well Doing well, doing well. They were kind of struggling a bit, but they've turned Mm -hmm. it around. And then the Kings have Nashville February 1st. Not looking forward to that one. Um, They're going to be, man, they're going to be tough in the playoffs, whoever plays them. Nashville. And... And the deadline hasn't even passed yet. And they made that Kyle Turris trade. Damn, that was a good trade. Um, that was a hell of a trade for them. Yeah. Arizona on the third. You Normally, you would look forward to a game like that. But as we know, the Kings typically lose to the Coyotes for no particular reason. Yeah. Uh, Oilers after that, who I'm sure will find a way to figure it out <laughs> by then. <laughs> Uh, Florida, Tampa, Carolina, Pittsburgh, Buffalo. Yeah. So it's not like it gets easier for the Kings. Uh, they do mm-hmm. see 
quite a few Eastern Conference teams and Central Division teams. So the Pacific outlook, not until the end of the month where they get like Vegas back-to-back, do they really, really face the Pacific Division other than that Arizona and Edmonton couple of games. So, yeah, they need to they need to get some wins because Jeff Carter, if you project he's going to return, let's say, February 22nd when the Kings are back home after mm-hmm. a five-game trip, they're going to need some wins in that stretch. Right. Uh, what are they down to, like 30 games at that point by the time he comes back? Uh, well, Maybe less? Less because they only have 30-some-odd left now. Yeah, so if he's playing another, yeah, less than probably less than 30 games, which is not a lot of runway, man. Not no, a lot of runway to make less, a turn. Yeah. So there you have yeah. it. And that's that's around when the deadline is too, so. Yeah, end of February, actually. February 26th, I think, is the deadline. Yeah. Um, any parting words for Jeff Satkoff? I sincerely forgot he was on this team. We'll miss you, buddy. <laughs> thanks, right. thanks for the memory. <laughs> thanks for being outplayed by Peter Budai when we needed you the most. That's very true. Yeah. That's very true. Yeah. Thanks for being the second favorite Jeff on this team. Well, that's it for us. Thank you for joining us, guys. We'll be back again in two weeks. Ish. Two we- <laughs> No, two weeks, for sure. We're a bi-weekly show. We've settled into it now. Um, if we can ever do one before our two-week date, we will, uh, gladly. But until then, it will be two weeks from now. Um, you can follow us on Twitter, at the Bannerman Pod. Our website is bannermanpodcast.com. Listen to us on iTunes, SoundCloud, Stitcher, Anywhere, everywhere, all the places in the world you can find a podcast. See you guys next time.